Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Winter is beginning, and plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. And follow us on Facebook, or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 709. And we're joined live in the studio here this morning by the great David Clapp. <laughs> live? You're not live? Oh, uh, it's, yeah. it's a lot to live up to. Well, you are live, and you're a great birder, and uh, great to have you back on the show, David. My pleasure, Ray. You've been on the show with me many times, and including once, um, we figured this out, it was 12 years ago. I was just a boy, yeah. <laughs> Look, we were both boys <laughs> at, that, at that time at Boys Like Magazine right here. Oh, I remember, us. yeah. Um, well, anyway, David, just just last week, I happened to uh, get some good views of a sharp-shinned hawk grabbing a bird, taking it over to the side of the road and beginning to devour it. And it reminded me of something that happened right here on the show with you uh, 12 years ago. And you were out birding on Martha's Vineyard. And we oh. were talking to you by cell phone. And we were asking you then about uh, binoculars and scopes and getting advice on how to pick one and right, right. how much you should have to pay. Well, here's a little excerpt that we found from the archives. Oh, goody. <laughs> Just when you were starting to uh, talk about uh, scopes, and then something happened. The $600 range, four to six fifty now, probably. Um, and as long as you take care of them and you put them on a good tripod, you should be... Oh, I just had a sharpshin hawk go right oh. by my head. Landed on a tree about 25 <laughs> feet away from me. We heard it here exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, oh, he's chasing a flicker right now. Oh, right in front of me. Um, excuse me. That's um, okay. I just read a thing from, from uh, Vern Locks the other day about him watching a sharpshin hawk catch and eat a flicker in the air. Well... <laughs> That could be the same one. Vernon, <laughs> Vernon just lives around the corner here, okay. so it could have been that one. <laughs> anyway, he's sorry. Well. He's, is he still he's after him? Yeah, he is. Wow. Like the, flicker, the flicker just flew into a dead pine tree that's covered with bittersweet vines, and he's trying to hide in the middle of it. And the sharp shin is just sort of sitting outside looking in. Just waiting. Yep. Yeah, wow. We'll, see, well, whether the flicker panics oh. first or the sharp shin tires first. <laughs> There you were, David, on the vineyard, and a reference there to our, our friend, the late, great uh, Vern Locks. Vern Locks, yeah. yeah. Treasure. Well, you're back here. We're in the south shore of Massachusetts, not very far from Martha's Vineyard, just off the south shore of uh, Cape Cod here in Massachusetts, for those who aren't familiar with it. But here we are, uh, David, in, in January. The uh, Christmas bird count uh, has ended as of, what, yesterday? I yeah, the last the, date was yesterday. Was the yes, last yeah. day, and uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, wintering finches and other birds coming down from Arctic regions. Yeah, to the, lower 48. the idea is to get a sense. It, it follows uh, Frank Chapman back in the early 1900s. Didn't want to do the side shoot the, the day after Christmas shoot. He wanted to just sort of census live birds, and from that has come hundreds and hundreds of. Christmas bird counts, circles 15 miles in diameter, set up all around the country, now all around the world. And people go into that, they divide it into sections and have territories, and hopefully you get the same people repeating. Um, 
and your senses. And you, you do look for those things that aren't usual. I mean, everybody's going to find chickadees and blue jays and this sort of thing. But you look for the winter finches. You look for the, the, the unlikely bird of prey that's come down from the Arctic, that sort of thing. Looking for, uh, well, I've just got a copy of the new Birdwatching magazine. And it's uh, an article called Winter Delights. Yeah, yeah. And it talks about 15 species to look for in North America during the coldest months. And it starts out with the great gray owl. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. You can spend a lot of time outdoors and not see one of those. Yeah. They're well, really quite wonderful. When they show up, they're huge owls. Mm-hmm. But if you plucked it, it's, I mean, it's bigger it's than a, really a great horned overall. It's quite a modestly sized yeah, underneath. But it, yeah. because it's Arctic, it's got a huge fluffy layer of feathers. Um, yeah, not a common owl, but if it's around, you hear about it, and all the bird watchers will drive. They recommend Minnesota's Sac Zim Bog. Is a good yeah, place. Minnes- northern Minnesota can yeah. bring you pretty much all the winter winter birds, winter finches as well. So these are talking about in different parts of the lower 48 in southern Canada, but they're northern hawk owl, boreal owl, of course, snowy owl, uh, the white wing and red wing crossbills. Tufted duck, which we've had here in Tufted Massachusetts Tufted duck is, recently. yeah, that comes probably an Iceland breeding bird. Maybe there's a few breeding in Canadian Maritimes now. And it comes down occasionally. We have jerf falcon, rough-legged hawk, golden eagle, uh, yeah. Lapland long spur, common and hoary red poles. Yep. Is it decided if hoary red pole is actually a separate uh, uh, the latest or? The latest feeling is that it's, it's still one species, not mm, two. Okay. Uh, but time will tell it may be split out again yeah. <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> bohemian waxwing there's a gorgeous, that's a that's uh, a great bird, bird yeah to see. and um, there's uh, one more that uh well this will kind of uh, tie into what we'll talk about in a little bit which is uh, the galapagos islands and you, yeah you've been there about 47 times <laughs> I think. i'm going back next week actually next, yeah. next week just yeah. uh by coincidence. Well, I've just been there one time, but there's a bird here in this list of winter visitors uh, to look for in North America in the coldest months that's really quite a surprise. It's the Nazca booby. You certainly see these yeah. in the Galapagos Islands. I'm sure you did, and I yeah. did uh, d- there. And it says here that in recent winters, small numbers of Nazca boobies have turned up in San Diego Bay, California. Really, that's interesting. The Nazca booby is thought to have been pretty much endemic to the Galapagos, but they fly, they follow food sources, so you don't know. It, it, that bird was uh, part of the masked booby complex, and it was split off as its own species, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 mm-hmm. years ago. And um, they follow it fairly closely, so it's quite recognizably different from most masked boobies, so... It's interesting. We get most of our birds, at least in most of the United States, come down from the, the boreal forests of Canada, the coastal Canada, um, the Bering Sea and this sort of stuff, the North Atlantic. Uh, and those are the ones we usually see. But there are birds that pop up from the south, sometimes in the spring as overshoot migrants from their own migration. Other times like the the, Mas- the uh, Nazca booby where nobody quite knows why it's here. Mm, amazing stuff. Well, we want to say thank you to some more Talking Birds ambassadors uh, because more have joined up this week. We're very grateful to say and thank you to Kelly T. from Columbus, Ohio. She says she discovered our podcast about a year ago and loves it and is excited to become a Talking Birds ambassador. Thank you so much, Kelly. And thank you to Gary Menon Sr. from Sterling, Massachusetts, who says he has volunteered to be the Massachusetts rep for Raptors Are the Solution and Mm -hmm. wishes to do all he can toward promoting the awareness 
of the associated dangers of rodenticides in Massachusetts mm. yeah. and elsewhere. Very much. Yeah, good work, Gary. And we'll uh, we'll do more about that, certainly, on upcoming shows here and on our Facebook page as well to uh, um, try to bring some more awareness to a really big problem. And thanks to current Ambassador Bill C. down in Baltimore for requesting a refill of our show info cards. They're on mm. the way, Bill. Thank good. you so much. Talking Birds listeners, to join Bill and Gary and Kelly as a Talking Birds ambassador, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option via the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And as you know, David, there is no G in Talking. There isn't. Okay, you can it's, verify that. It's quite, it's, Thank uh, you. I can verify that. Yeah. Still to come on our show today, more with the great David Clapp right here <laughs> in our studio with us. And we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, in our Let's Ask Mike segment, uh, talking about what happens when you get a new bird feeder. How do you get birds to start noticing uh, it and yeah, take advantage? Yeah, good discussion. Advantage? Michael will know all about that. He will. And up next, a bird we had the pleasure of seeing right from our window at Talking Birds World Headquarters in Quincy, Massachusetts this week is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Well, we'd love to see a red-throated loon in breeding plumage. Still, we were thrilled to spot one in its winter garb last week, right from the window of our modest Talkin' Birds office. I mean, world headquarters, from which we can view a slice of beautiful Boston Harbor. The red-throated loon is a large water bird with a slightly up-tilted, thinnish bill and is seen in winter, medium gray coloring on the top of the head and back of the neck, a white face, throat and chest, and a blackish gray back with white feather edges. In breeding plumage, this loon sports a dark gray neck and head with red eyes and a distinctive red throat, black and white striping on the back of the neck and white on the chest. The red-throated loon breeds in tundra wetlands, bogs and ponds in Alaska and the Canadian Arctic, south to British Columbia, northern Manitoba and Newfoundland, and can be seen in winter off the east, west and gulf coasts of the U.S. According to Wayne Peterson and Roger Burroughs in their book Birds of New England, native peoples saw red-throated loons as weather forecasters because the birds often become very noisy before the onset of storms, maybe sensing changes in barometric pressure. The red-throated loon feeds on fish, often diving as deep as 90 feet in pursuit of them, and it's the only loon that doesn't need a long, liquid runway for takeoff. It can leap into flight directly from water or land. The red-throated loon, Gavia stellata, enhancing the view from our Talking Birds office window and serving as today's featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 709. David Clapp is here in the studio with us, and we've been talking about, uh, among other things, or actually mostly, I, I guess, about birds coming down uh, to the lower 48 in southern Canada, um, finches to look for in North America here during the winter months, and there are 
So many, so many yeah. amazing birds. And how, how is it's, it? We get a lot season? of birds that come out of the boreal forest and migrate past us. The thrushes, mm-hmm. the warblers, vireos mostly yeah. go into northern South America, even central South America. But we get a bunch that just sort of move out of that great boreal forest, that huge Canadian boreal forest. Same type of forest you find in Siberia, all around that latitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and they include things like pine siskin. Uh, you get red poles, evening grosbeaks on occasion. Uh, you mentioned the uh, waxwing, bohemian waxwing, as well as things like snowy owl, occasionally a couple boreal owl and great gray. Um, but the small birds, the finches, are the ones that most commonly come down. And this year has been really quite wonderful for evening grosbeaks, mm-hmm. which typically we thought came migrating from sort of central United States east, sort of a east-west migrant. Um, and now we don't know what they do because they really haven't been here for 20 years. <laughs> That's so progress. All, all of a sudden, here they are. Uh, and things yeah. like the finches and the red pole, the siskins and the red poles, which do come down out of the boreal forest. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, are they coming down because the population's so big they can just overflow everywhere? Mm-hmm. And it was a great year last year for nesting because there must have been lots of food. Mm-hmm. Or are they coming down because there's no food and they're really under pressure to find some place to live where they can make it through the winter and then go back home. And these these are questions still being worked out. But nowadays, with really light transmitters being able to be put on birds, mm-hmm. I think we'll be able to follow some of these birds on their routes and determine what they're up to a little bit better over the next decade or so. I think if you ask most people um, that, that are interested in birds that or that do birding, bird watching, and you said, uh, why do these birds come down sometimes in big numbers? I think most people would say, well, it's because there isn't food up north, but we don't really know that so No, we don't. As a matter of fact, with the things like the snowy owl, it often there are their eruptions, the uh, eruption of them into the southern areas, uh, follows years of huge lemming populations so that the mm-hmm. breeding was successful. And instead of raising zero or one young, snowy owl nests might have raised three or four young. And so you get this surplus and they need to spread out to look for new territory. Uh, mm-hmm. Wild animals can't stay in mom and dad's territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just gets a little crowded. And so they have to move out. So maybe we're seeing them after great years coming down here. Um, uh, it, where we are, we get the evening grosbeaks a lot. It's been a big year in Massachusetts for evening grosbeaks. Mm-hmm. But, for instance, in New Mexico, you get the uh, the, fin- the rosy finches coming off Sandia Crest and places like this. A lot of stuff is vertical migration. You find them in valleys in the winter and mountains in the, in the, in the summer breeding. So there's movement all over the place. It's you know just gives you a reason to go birding every day, actually. But uh, you see a lot of changes in the population at this time of year. So getting back to the Nazca booby, oh, such yeah. a surprise here because uh, we've seen this bird, uh, many many of them in the Galapagos Islands, and it's uh, kind of a big surprise here to see that some of them are turning up in San Diego uh, Bay in, uh, in in California. Yeah. Well, the Salton Sea. In Southern California, an old place where they tried to deviate the Colorado River. It's been flooded for a century or more uh, and slowly drying up, becoming saltier, becoming more filled with runoff from farmlands and such. But still, the Salton Sea has attracted boobies and such over the years. Oh, for probably 50 years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Uh, as bird watchers have become more and more numerous and more and more skilled, you're recognizing things. And perhaps mask boobies and Nazca boobies have been off the coast of Baja for for a long time. We just mm-hmm. haven't known it. But this seems like a brand new a brand new activity. This yeah. Morning. And for those uh, further north, this, this is a bird that's very closely related to northern Gannet. And right. looks, looks right. very much 
yeah. like uh, Northern yeah. Canada. They all belong to the same group, Solidae. <coughs> Along with the blue-footed boobies blue and the boobies, red-footed, red-footed boobies. boobies. Yeah. Brown yeah. boobies, more common. Brown, the people yeah. who go into the American tropics, the Virgin Islands and such, will see brown boobies. Yeah. That's where they are. So this is January, the, a great time of year for, for, uh, for finches and lots of Keep your bird feeders full, especially thistle seed. If you can just once splurge on hulled sunflower, you've got a real good chance of getting siskins, red poles, evening grosbeaks. Uh, purple finches, purple finches are sporadic, but they're all over the place too. Um, Christmas counts have been turning in a lot of numbers on these kind of winter finches coming out of the Canadian forests. I've been hearing from people lately saying they've seen purple finches, and we know that lots of times people see house finches and yeah. think they're purple finches. They're pretty similar, but the they're, streaking they're pretty similar. separates yeah, them. Purple finches right. are bigger and more solid, big mm-hmm. heavy neck. Uh, and probably uh, in the past Christmas counts, I've seen maybe 20 purple finches, and 18 of them have had broad white eye stripes. Mm-hmm. So they're young or females. And only a couple males, which are really the ones you might confuse with a male house finch. So, so the house finches, we've, we've kind of infamously been associated with this conjunctivitis over the past couple yeah. of decades or so. But yeah. that hasn't really affected purple finches. It doesn't seem to it? affect no. purple finches. It does. Okay. Goldfinches have uh, started to mm-hmm. get it. We've seen it in goldfinches and house finches. Hopefully it's gone. It, it's mm-hmm. much less obvious now than it was, say, five or eight years ago, six, seven years ago. David Clapp here with us in the studio here (laughs) on our show number 709. And up next, uh, we'll ask David to assist us in our mystery bird contest. Uh, And that is in just uh, one minute. Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species. And on safari with Nasera safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino, and cape buffalo. That's Nasera safaris founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and guerrilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda. Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, nasarasafaris.com, N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. David Clapp is everywhere, including, <laughs> including right here. Uh, Are you going back to Tanzania anytime no, I'm soon? Not, no, I'm not right away. No. Uh, Nasera right. is a huge monolithic rock just north of the Ndutu area in Serengeti. And uh, several of us worked for years to get there. Anyway, that's where the name comes from. Nasera Rock is a big, mm. big rock in the middle of nowhere. I mean, oh. just nowhere. Just nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great stuff. Mystery Bird Contest. Uh, this is, a well, we can say a, a relative of a bird that we heard from a little earlier in the show. Here's the sound of the bird. <laughs> You're eligible to win our mystery bird contest as long as you haven't been a winner in the past six months here on Talking Birds. Here's the number to call. It's 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Our bird is a medium-sized raptor. With broad, rounded wings and a very long tail, adults of the species are steely blue-gray above, with warm reddish bars on the underparts and thick, dark bands on the tail. And the immature, David, how would you describe the immature of this Uh, bird? Similar, browner on the back, and the the stripes don't go laterally, they go vertically pretty much. Our bird is found in wooded habitats from deep forests to your backyard. 
especially if you have some of those bird feeders out there. <laughs> that would be our mystery bird. You heard the uh, sound of the bird, and we're hearing it again. We have some beautiful prizes, as usual, from Droll Yankees, the new generation 13-inch metal finch sock. It combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. It would be a pretty good time of year for this, wouldn't you say, perfect. David? Absolutely perfect. It holds a full pound of niger seed, a.k.a. thistle seed. Plus, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And we have one more bonus prize here. That's the a new good year. app, by the way. Yeah, it's a Just, great. It's, yeah. it's a fun thing. And, uh, yeah. yeah, the LarkWire app. So that's one of our prizes. And if you have an iPhone, you can put it right on there. If not, you can put it on your uh, laptop or other device like that. So here's the other bonus prize here in the new year. It's the World Wildlife Federation 16-month calendar. So in case you think, well, it's already January, you know, it's too late for a calendar. No, this is going to carry on because yeah. it's a 16-month calendar. We thought of this. There was a time when 16 months seemed like just like a regular year. Now it's mm. they go by in three or four months, don't they? <laughs> they just zip right by. <laughs> they do indeed. We can we can vouch for that, thinking that uh, our little piece earlier you was was twelve years ago. Oh, it, right? was it really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll double no, check. I'm... Maybe it wasn't really that that long ago. I'll check it out. <laughs> well, that's sure our mystery bird and the prizes seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number. Uh, give us a call and tell us what it is, or take a guess because. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So you don't have to necessarily get the right answer. Meanwhile, we'll get some answers from Mike O'Connor about how about getting how to get birds to come to your new bird feeders when it's just been put put in there. How do you get them to notice it? Stuff like that. Mike has some insight into I'm that. Sorry, Mike well, Mike will. He'll he'll know. Yeah. That's Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Paul Keller, and I'm calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because I just really enjoy talking about birds. My family and I like to listen to Ray Brown's Talking Birds together, for sure. All of us. I like to give out the ambassador cards to pretty much anybody I come in contact with. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. David, we're going to talk to a friend of yours called Mike O'Connor. At least he's say he's a friend of yours. Oh, we'll this out. is him playing the banjo, I think. It's an amazing, yeah. He's a great banjo player. Right through the phone, the fidelity is remarkably good there. Good morning, Mike. Oh, man, I still got it. I still got that banjo touch. Uh, you do. You do, Earl. Mr. Scruggs. Earl Scruggs of Cape Cod. Yes, indeed. So, Mike, we've been uh, giving a little uh, intro to what you're talking about here, the idea that you get a beautiful new bird feeder, and you fill it with seed, and you put it out there, and then you wait. Well, a lot of people got new bird feeders for Christmas, right? I think I, I think just the lucky people. Yeah. You got a new bird <laughs> feeder for Christmas, or if you're like David Clapp, you just you know picked up a broken one at a yard sale someplace. <laughs> 
and then you put it out there, and and if it's your first feeder you've ever had, it takes a while for birds to discover it because they don't know that all of a sudden you're going to decide to feed birds. So they've they've kind of written your yard off as a place to find food. So. When you put fill it with sunflower, like I always say, and then maybe if you have a picnic table or, or a piece of plywood or a board, sprinkle some seed below it. Because remember, birds don't find food by smelling. Mm. These backyard birds don't. It's all visual. So they're not going to recognize the feeder. They'll recognize the food. And so if you broadcast some food on the ground or if you have snow, put it up on, it, like I said, a picnic table or a board. Then give them something a target to find. Now, if you already have feeders and, and birds are already coming on a regular basis, again, if you put out a new feeder, oftentimes they ignore the new feeder because they, just like we sit at the same seat at the dinner table every night, birds go to what they're used to and what they know is comfortable and safe. So they'll continue to go to the older feeders. So what I tell people to do is let the old feeders run down and then, or take them in. But I just let it run down because I'm, I'm kind of lazy. And then when the birds come, the feeder's empty, and then they have to venture over to the new one and dis- discover that for the first time. Right, there it is. Top yeah. quality advice. To Pretty exciting year. stuff, yeah. huh, you guys? I hope you wrote it down, David. I did. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Top quality <laughs> and exciting. Thank you, Mike. All right, you guys. Happy New Year, you too. Yeah, bye, Mike. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Talk to you next week, and we'll be back to the mystery bird uh, contest right after this. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Uh, where are we, David? We're back at the Mystery Bird Contest, are we not? We are. We are. And uh, here's that Mystery Bird <laughs> one more time. 781-837-4900 is the number. We have the beautiful... A Droll Yankees Metal Finch Sock Feeder. Uh, download or online access to the LarkWire app and the beautiful World Wildlife Federation 16-month calendar is another bonus prize for our mystery bird uh, contest. And we have Maurice, who is out in Tucson, Arizona, uh, calling in to talk to David Clapp and <laughs> enter our mystery bird contest. Uh, Maurice, good morning. Hey, good morning, Ray and David. Thanks so much for taking the call. You're very welcome. Oh, uh, Maurice, I believe you're one of our Talking Birds ambassadors. Am I right? I am probably so. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Living in one of the best birding areas in the world. Well, we're down by Sabino Canyon Creek in Tucson, and uh, and this is our favorite call to hear anytime during the day. We hear it a lot, and I think it's uh, uh, I think I'm correct in uh, saying it's the Cooper's Hawk. Uh, David, uh, uh, David says, ooh. I said, ooh, because it's, uh, yeah, it is. But it and the sharp shinned hawk sound so similar at times, just to sort of a, a depth of the sound. Yeah, Cooper's uh-huh. hawk, very common in, well, these, in southeast Arizona, too, yeah. We have a, a beautiful, gigantic eucalyptus tree in the backyard, and uh, occasionally we'll have a couple make, uh, make their nests there, and uh, they'll go screaming by about five feet off the ground as they <laughs> go about their... <laughs> about their daily uh, routine of uh, eating and hunting, and uh, they uh, we have a couple different places in our home where we can look right out, and there they are, right on the uh, limb of uh, mesquite tree, just looking around, waiting. Wow, a beautiful bird! Nice, Indeed, yeah. nice, yeah. Maurice, thanks so much for calling in. Congratulations again. 
My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hey, Cooper's Hawk, our mystery bread. I wonder yeah. if we have time for our Stump the Guest segment. This is I something... Don't, I don't think we do. Right. We <laughs> just, just out of time. Uh, I think we have time for this. We're going to do it really quickly. And, and this okay. is not about birds because we know we couldn't stump David about birds. But uh, uh, here you go, David. It's a multiple choice. Okay. Bacardi Rum is oh, doing yeah. something of an environmentally positive nature. Mm-hmm. You know, Bacardi, you're drinking uh, some oh, right, yeah, now, right so. now. Yeah. Uh, what are they doing? A, changing to organic farming for their sugarcane plantations. B, building caves to save bats at their Florida bottling plant. Bat is their label symbol. Or C, switching to biodegradable packaging for all of their products. Which which one is it, David? Well, I think all three would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to build a cave in Florida because it's so low. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll throw out B. I'll say A, that they're switching to... Uh, organic... Organic uh, organic cane. Farming, yeah. yeah. A, as a matter of fact, as hard as it may be, they are building caves to save bats at their Florida... Really? I wonder if that's a resident population, plant. a migrant population? Interesting. Yeah, apparently uh, they when they started Bacardi Rum many years ago, they had bats around, and they were huh. pe- people said, "Why don't you get rid of them?" And they decided, "No, we're going to keep them and uh, try to save them." That's and the then, old yeah. pink elephant story. It's pink bats, perhaps. You know, Bacardi <laughs> and pink bats. That's a wonderful thing. And bats that, are suffering so badly on, on a worldwide basis from fungus. Infections well, getting into their indeed. You know, areas. David, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Always for, a pleasure. For always, a pl- to always too short, right? <laughs> indeed. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee, BirdsandBeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Winter is beginning, and plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. And follow us on Facebook, or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club.